Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of our podcast. My name is Andre, your host for today. Today we'll speak about how hard is it to plan nowadays. Today with the current uncertainty we have in the world from pandemic to changes happening with remote work, all the hybrids, all the technology and all the impacts that those represent, the instability with the downturn and economic downturn and much more. So with me today, I have Marlon Martinez, a very experienced, very tenured workforce management specialist that will speak with us about planning in this environment and much more. Stay tuned. The episode today is sponsored by Playbox, workforce management essentials for the modern contact center. But more on that later. Everyone, thank you, Marlon Martinez, for being here today. Um, I know it's early for you, but it's uh, a pleasure to have you on the, on the show. Um, I have to say, personally, before we start uh, anything, say thank you, because you have been uh, one of the good contributors to our blog, to our Telegram groups, to WFM in general. Uh, and I think you have very good learnings that you shared with people uh, over these last year. So a public thank you uh, and welcome to of the podcast. No problem. Thank you, Andre. Actually, it's my pleasure. I definitely believe in giving back and definitely believe uh, in helping everyone, you know, with the knowledge I've gained over the, I guess, over a decade in doing WFM. Uh, for sure. I don't mind sharing. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I have to say, we, we were trying to get this this podcast going for a while. So it's even better for me <laughs> we because were, after we a while, we, yeah. we, we cracked it. Before anything else, and I wanted to kind of like give uh, a word by starting with a simple question. Sure. In your own words, what does workforce management? Well, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, workforce management to me um, should be called customer experience management. And the reason why I say that, because uh, workforce, you know, being managing staff, making sure we have the appropriate amount of staff to meet service levels, et cetera, I think is just one part of the equation. I think that, um, you know, the main objective that workforce management or workforce analysts try to accomplish is, the, you know, to make sure the customer experience is great. And I think workforce management has evolved quite a bit over the past, uh, you know, it's been over a decade, I'd say about almost 15 years that I've been doing workforce management. And I've realized that the workforce management cycle is not just, you know, managing the staff and schedules and vacations, et cetera. It's the whole cycle and experience. So everything from the customer picking up their phone, whether it's, you know, landline or whether it's a cell phone, um, everything from ensuring the right landing pages are set up on the company website, ensuring all the flows of the website go to the right areas, making sure all the toll-free numbers are properly routed. So I think customer, you know, workforce management, um, has evolved to be involved in a lot of those areas. So not just, you know, the planning of the staff, but, you know, working with the IT departments, working with marketing departments, working with all the departments that connect all the pieces together for the customer to have a very good experience. So in my um, 15, 14, 15 years of doing workforce management, I think my main objective for workforce management is to really try to focus on the customer experience. So you know, manage the workforce is one part of it, but I think workforce management really has to, you know, think outside the box a lot and put on a lot of different shoes to make sure that we're involved in the process. Everything from the customer picking up the phone, going on the website, all the way through to the staffing, planning, 
vacation management and even you know the other digital channels that are available like social media chat uh, i think workforce management has evolved to be like the one-stop shop of the customer engagement experience and the customer experience if you must yeah and, and i i totally agree with you i think it needs to all ends together like in the end of the day the success of both is the same so they are both on the same boat trying to reach the same place so i think it's it's a very important one i wanted to to pick a bit, like you, you mentioned this just before, we have loads of experience. You have been doing uh, work in this industry for a while. I wanted to ask more a curiosity question from my uh, side. I hope everyone has the same curiosity. Like you work on very different fields, very different industries. So I know you work in logistic, like at least logistic companies, different other companies that do other stuff. Which one for you was the hardest one to plan for? I, w- I would say... Um, probably the most recent one, uh, Rogers, or, you know, not to get into too much specifics, but Rogers is a big telephone or telecommunication company. They do cable, they do internet, they do uh, cell phones. And I think that was one of the bigger, tougher ones because of the complexity of the company. I mean, billion dollar company, lots of uh, different offerings, I guess you could say. They, they offered cable services, cell phone services, uh, business services, and they had thousands upon thousands of, uh, of agents, right? So we had to, uh, you know, deal with, um, you know, internal agents and also external third-party agents, you know, uh, via vendors. And that was fairly complex because we had to do vendor management. We had to do, um, you know, handle the internal agents and then also deal with third-party agents. So we're dealing with multiple sites, multiple uh, lines of businesses, et cetera. So I think one, one of the most challenging was Rogers for sure, uh, you know, in, big tel- in telecommunication. I, I just think because the scope of the company, right? I mean, uh, I've dealt with uh, other companies like, D- like I've worked with DHL, I've worked with a gas company doing energy management mm-hmm. and their customer bases were, were big, but I mean, I think that probably the biggest company I worked for was, was Rogers and having uh, millions of customers. And I think yeah. um, that's where you really see workforce, you know, at its, at its best. Cause you know, you're dealing with thousands of moving pieces and thousands of people mm-hmm. and customer behaviors, agent behaviors and, I think it's probably where I learned quite a bit of, of, of what I've learned these days, you know, and how, how to manage the customer experience was Rogers. It's a great company, good to work for. You know, we just yeah. parted ways during the pandemic, but um, I think that that's where I picked up quite a, quite a bit of my experience. Yeah, and I think it's a good point because that complexity normally is what gives a lot of struggles to many of us within the WFM industry. And I think it's good to have you to share because I think it's, it's actually refreshing to, to talk about that. I wanted to pick your uh, your experience about planning, and it's kind of like the main focus of this conversation. I really wanted to revolve around planning, uh, but I wanted to to touch from different perspectives, and I wanted to start with your opinion. So nowadays, uh, and you have been here for a while, so you know, it used to be just phone. It got we got email, we got tickets, we got social, and you have been one of the most vocal persons about common mistakes around social challenges like we had the pandemic we have like a possible downturn with recessions and all the events that are eating that really hurt how we plan because it's just unexpected events or different ways of planning and i wanted to to have a bit on you about like how do you think that the challenges around planning have been evolving over time especially with so many different landscapes more channels events that we cannot control things that are really hard on our clients and i wanted to get your thoughts around how hard is it to plan nowadays? That that's a very good question, and I think it all stems down from the majority of the problems I see with most, most call centers and most organizations, is they have the mentality of if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? A lot of organizations I think don't want to invest in technology and don't want to take a leap to 
different ways for customers to communicate with them because of either the cost associated with it or the complexity of setting up a new system and you know going from what they're used to it's almost like a lot of the companies that i've worked for and known and other colleagues i've worked for are in such a comfort zone that they're scared to try new things and, and try new platforms and to kind of evolve their business to support the customer experience and the customer better so one example i'll give of this is um years before the pandemic happened and i you know i'm not tuning my own horn, horn here but i felt like i was kind of like a workforce nostradamus right uh, the company I worked for, um, it, I won't go into specifics, but it, it's a, lar a large company. And uh, I was really, really pushing, I think it was all the way back in 2014 uh, or 15, pretty much when I started for that company, work from home. And the, the reason why is because a lot of what I saw when it came to dealing with third-party vendors, for example, uh, was the, the vendors that had already set up their agents to be working from home. Uh, and on site, so they had both. You know, they had uh, a desk for them. They had already hybrid models, yeah. Right, the, the you know hybrid models already. The hybrid models were started over a decade ago. If they were the earliest ones trying it out, and you know, 2014, 15, they were the ones who were pioneering it already. And the funniest thing is when we were doing like vendor results and we were looking at you know the adherence of schedule, we were looking at the adherence to uh, the compliance of schedule, we were looking at uh, service level delivery for these third parties, we were looking at um, adherence to uh like for instance you know we would do a vendor plan where we'd say we need this many bodies on the queue at 1 p.m 1 30 depending on you know whether it's 30 minute uh, intervals 15 minutes we would give them a plan and we would also have a compliance standard for them too so they would have to make sure they have a certain amount of staff on for every interval to meet they were the ones that were set up to work from home were always hitting their compliance targets were always always delivering the results versus the the sites that were on-site, which was the weirdest thing, because what I think was happening was that flexibility allowed them to have two triggers. The trigger of having the people in the office on-site during the daytime hours, and the trigger to call those same people when they went home and say, hey, do you want to do some overtime? Do you want to jump on and be on the queue? So it's similar to an article I wrote on what I call parallel capacity agents. So even before the pandemic, I think a lot of organizations should have started implementing work from home plans to have the ability to have, you know, your agents arrive during the day, work, and then um, take, you know, go pick up their kids, go home. And a good chunk of them would want to make a little bit extra cash. So they would jump on and, and take the opportunity to make some more time and help you during those peak periods. So I found that those vendors that already had that, you know, hybrid model before the pandemic hit were delivering some of the best results. And so I, I think that's what is a problem in the industry overall. It's the adaptation. It's the thinking ahead and investing the money into the platforms and the tools that are necessary to, you know, get the results you want. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, like even with work from home these days, I think that a lot of companies are, are feeling like, oh, well, you know, we have to go back to the old um, non-hybrid way. We have to have our agent on site because we can manage your productivity. But, you know, a lot of companies aren't realizing there's so many tools out there that can help with managing the productivity. You, you need to trust your employees. If you trust your employees, they will work hard for you. And then as an organization, as managers, as directors, you need to invest the money into the tools to measure the performance, right? Because no matter where they are, whether we're working from home or working on site, if you have all the tools, and I'm talking about like back office tools, counting emails, productivity, when it comes to queue reports, like having all the reporting set up, mm -hmm. having all the, the metrics in place to gauge the performance of, a, of an IA or even an offline um, back office representative to measure how many emails they're doing, to do things like time and motion studies. I find a lot of organizations 
worry about the micromanagement side of it, but don't put it in place the proper ways to measure their agent performance. They're, they're worried that, let's say, they're not doing their work when they're working from home. Uh, so we need them on site. But most of the organizations I've, I've dealt with and, and some I, I know personally don't have the tools set up or the metrics in place to even measure their performance. So I think that that's one of the biggest things affecting the industry is people have this misconception that work from home agents are less productive or there's losing productivity, but they don't even have the, the tools in place to measure that productivity. So I they're think not enabling the their big, success, right? To success. Right. That's where the biggest gap is. You, you can assume someone's not doing the work if you're not measuring the results to begin with. Right. So I think that uh, companies need to start thinking more about investing into uh, measuring tools and investing time into understanding, you know, we've all done time and motion studies where we, where we uh, gauge, you know, high performing agents versus low performing agents. And we try to find out where the time's leaking, like where, there, where there's breaks in the processes, whether their machines are performing well enough, whether their computers are up to spec, whether there could be processes that are hindering their, their call flow and causing more HT. Every organization I go to, they seem to not focus on the root cause. They just seem to focus on pounding in the results or saying, you know, you got to take this many calls or you have to be on site to, to, to deliver a productive workday where they're not focusing on actually putting in the tools and taking the time and the resources to, to measure um, the results. Thank you so much, because I think it's a perfect introduction to kind of the conversation. Now, quick word to our sponsor, Playbox. How many times have you said, I wish I could ditch this spreadsheet? Well, now you can. With Playbox, cloud-native, easy-to-deploy workforce management solution, you can increase efficiency, reduce costs, while keeping an agile and happy workforce. Use Playbox to forecast, schedule, and manage your workforce in real time. Want to know more? Go to our sponsor page at wfm.com or click the first link in the description. Now, back to the episode. There's an age, it's like they are more in control of their lives, like you said, like they can save time. And I think COVID really helped everyone seeing that, okay, that's possible. Uh, so I totally, I totally agree with that. And I wanted to pick up mm-hmm. on this point, which is there is a lot of challenges that we foresee with like since the pandemic, eventually now a downturn in the economy. Uh, and we need to be prepared for those types of, of scenarios. Like, how well do you think the industry is prepared for it? Um, that's a great question because um, I think the industry is so focused on, uh, well, you know, the pandemic's over, sort of, right? And let's get let's get everyone back to the site and let's get everyone uh, uh, working again. And I think that they're missing a humongous opportunity to leverage what happened. Uh, like I said, with the whole parallel capacity agents article or the blog post I did, it wasn't necessarily to, uh, yeah, it de- definitely revolved around having the flexibility for the agent, but also ensuring that the, the investment already made on work from home tools, laptops, monitors are not thrown to waste. Like a lot of companies I thought they were, what they're doing now is they're recalling a lot of their staff back to the work, but they're also saying, bring your laptops, bring your monitors. You don't need them at home anymore. And I think they're missing a humongous opportunity, right? Because let's, let's be honest, if it does, things do start kind of hitting uh, the fan here, I guess you could say, and companies have to start looking at cutting on costs, what's the best way you can do it? Having an on-site um, desk for an agent and having a work-from-home desk where they can log on only for the hours where you need them, right? So, for example, the camel hump, we all know this, right? Calls come in really heavy in the morning, and then they die down uh, around lunch, and then they pick up again when people are going home 
3, 3, 4 p.m., rush hour traffic, everyone's going home. I call it the camel hump syndrome, right, where the calls are really heavy in the morning, they die down, and then they, they're back up towards the evening. And so every single call center I've worked at, they always have trouble staffing the evening. So I think the biggest opportunity um, companies have right now is to ensure that they don't recall, they don't waste all the money spent on giving laptops and giving tools and hubs and everything for people to have at home so they have the ability to pick up hours when they need. So let's say, for instance, if we want to reduce the cost of having the FTs on for a full eight-hour shift, right? So we know from 9 to, 9 to 11 a.m., they're really busy. From 12 to 4, they can go home, they can do whatever they need to do, and then be back online from six to seven where they need them. Now, not everyone's going to choose that because people want, you know, static, static shift. They, they want, yeah, they want to set schedule. They drop the kids off in the morning. They, they finish work seven hours later and they go home and they, they enjoy their day. But you're going to have a much younger workforce now. You're going to have workforces that want to do a few hours in the morning and then study for their school and then join back in at night to make money. Or you might have a hard decision where you have to, instead of, you know, lay off people, say, hey, well, you know, we're going to lay you off. We're going to cut your hours down, but we only need you in this section here from, six you know seven p.m to nine p.m where we're really getting hit hard so rather than lay you off we're going to give you the hours in the section where we need you and you can do it from home too and people will be like okay well, that's great i don't have to be unemployed i can actually do the hours from 5 p.m to 8 p.m uh cut back on my hours and then you know a lot of places have different uh support mm -hmm. systems they can apply to through their governments their governments will give them some kind of coverage when they're making some kind of um, salary on, on one end. There's still a lot of government programs. For instance, in Canada, there's a lot of government programs that will still give you assistance while you're working if you don't have that many hours. So I think that it's a tremendous opportunity to make sure that we don't go back, we don't claw back all the progress we made on becoming a, a very versatile workforce. And, and what I mean by that is ensuring that, you know, the investment, all the money we spent on tools for, for laptops and things that they have already at home, that you keep it, that you yeah. keep it and that you leverage it and, um, and and I think what's around the corner is we're going to have to really uh, start utilizing every single mean uh, means for the customer to, to communicate with us, right? I think this is a something towards the end. I think uh, there's a question later you're going to be asking about like what 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 would I do if I have all the budget? I know we'll get to that question later, but I'll just say this right now: voice is the most expensive thing, right? Voice calls is one to one. Yeah, you're doing a voice call. You only ten to one customer at a time. That's already the most non-cost efficient thing it's the most inefficient way to communicate right you're only talking to one customer that person's spending only time with one customer and uh it either utilized for that entire time whereas you know we have chat and social media where you can do multiple chats at once you can do um interactions with social media for example where you just send a message via facebook or, or whatsapp and then that customer has whatever they can reply at whatever time they want they want to reply 10 minutes later three minutes later they don't have to go about their day waiting on hold for, for you in a call center. They can just go ahead and go about their day. And a lot of companies are kind of scared to jump to the digital side of things. But I think that we need to think of creative ways to reduce the biggest cost I've in every call center is voice. And I think that we need to force ourselves as an industry to cut voice down to 20, 30% and increase chat to chat and digital to 60, 70%. It's so cost efficient. It's ridiculous, right? And we're, we're stuck in the exact opposite way. We want to keep putting millions of dollars into voice budgets, which are 70-80%, and only a small fraction amount of that budget into chat and social media, not realizing that the majority of the customers uh, based on age, you know, the millennials, the Gen Z, they're the ones who are starting to have a lot of disposable income and spending money on our products. So they're the ones that we have to cater to, and they're, they're much more used to social media, digital, yeah. uh, chat, digital, WhatsApp, 
and uh, I'll, I'll mention this before we're going to this question. Look at Meta and the investment they made with WhatsApp, and they've just invested with Salesforce. They're going to be doing sales calls over WhatsApp, right? Even a billion-dollar company like Meta is already realizing that people or customers want to communicate differently. It's almost, I think I read like a stat, like 90% of the customers these days want more means to communicate with the company digitally and are more than happy to do uh, business over things like WhatsApp. Yeah, and I think that's a very good point. We were speaking about the flexible shift, shifts or parallel, uh, like you mentioned it. And we spoke about what COVID did, which kind of like, to a certain extent, forced people on and keeping that investment. And I think it's a perfect segue to a point that I wanted to make, which is look about potential downturns, like everyone is cutting budgets and thinking about different and creative ways to save costs. This is actually, one, a potential good way to reshift your investment and get those benefits on return on investment, as well as your, you made a perfect comment about if you already have the resources and you have people that can be flexible, working from home, you have different ways of thinking your workforce that can give you the actual saving you need in terms of like, adding more people just to for the sake of covering shifts, but you can be creative on that. Probably you are still making some savings on your budget, which is helping in the end of the day uh, with all the economical situation we have. So it's just thinking about those things differently. I think to a certain extent, Absolutely. smarter. To continue on that conversation, because we, we spoke a bit about planning and I wanted to ask about how critical do you think good planning is in workforce management? I think it's very critical. I think that... Um... When you're going back to the original question, you know, what, what does workforce management mean to me? To me, it means the entire cycle, right? So uh, I've worked at organizations where you had multiple workforce teams, like you had a team, uh, one team doing capacity planning, one team doing uh, short-term planning, one, ter- one team doing real-time or frontline planning. I think the most effective workforce management team should do everything, right? So what's good planning to me is the whole cycle. Because when you have multiple departments doing things, you tend to not communicate as effectively, right? So let's say, for example, where I used to work, we used to have a, a long-term department that would just handle the budget, that would handle, um, you know, building the, the long-term forecast. But they would not ever meet with the people who would be doing the shorter-term forecast. And then those people wouldn't meet with the people doing the same day or day of. It would be a, a meeting once in a while, and there was some, a lot of breakdown in communications. There was a lot of stepping on toes. There was a lot of uh, confusion. So I think that a good planning process is for a workforce department to take ownership of everything, even from, from meeting with the tech support departments and working on call flow all the way to, you know, working on the actual budget, working on the long-term plan, and then finessing that plan into, like, the shorter window, which is, like, the 90-day window, the 60-day window, the 30-day window, all the way down to the 30-day window and then the, the week of, and then, you know, doing launches and doing uh, special programs, doing uh, upcoming events. I think that the most effective planning or the, the best planning process is that a workforce department is one single whole unit and that they take care of the whole process from long-term to short-term to real-time to um, that moment where the call comes into queue. So I think that's, you know, different organizations I've seen workforce, you know, the, I guess I guess the bigger the organization, it tends to be that entities of workforce are siloed. So, you know, you have uh, tech support that's siloed. They don't really talk to workforce. Workforce doesn't really talk to tech support. Or they do, but through tickets, so they don't really meet up yeah. very often. Then you have workforce that might have, like, a long-term department, then a, a midterm, and then they have a real-time. I think having a um, business intelligence department, a workforce department that handles the entire scope from, from A to Z, I, I think it's like streamline the process. Sending, yeah, sending someone out to, to war without giving them a gun. Like, they, they just don't. 
they don't have the tool, like they don't know what's happening. Like they, they need to be given all points of information. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I struggle currently with um, trying to get information from marketing departments and trying to get information from departments that um, are very important to the, to the cycle of planning and forecasting, but to, to get them uh, to a meeting or to get the information to create proper assumptions for long-term forecasts, it's very difficult, right? So I think that if you want to have the best planning process, you should be meeting weekly with every single person in the organization that has anything to do with the customer experience. I totally agree about, about that. And I know companies that do kind of war meetings where they have like a representative from marketing, from, from service, which then they can discuss plans. I know most times the examples I know are more short term, but even that is a huge change in relationship yeah. to, to the planning yeah. uh, cycles. And with that being said, and I think we touched on one because that's a very common one for everyone listening. That's a very common one, I think, across the board about not having enough details on either marketing campaigns, sales campaigns, wherever it's happening. So I wanted right. to, which already is a good start, but like I wanted to ask you for your opinion about kind of like what kind of tricks or tips you have for everyone listening that can improve or help optimize their planning outcomes. That I, I think I think um, that that's a very good point. I think that. Um, Always thinking ahead, right? Always, you know what? Um, make sure everything connects. If you don't, let's say, have access to your long-term plan, get it. Get the long-term plan and study it, dissect it, and start making assumptions on, on the things that are going to happen way ahead of time, right? I think that uh, a lot of um, organizations are way more reactive than proactive, right? So they react to situations that happen. And like, like I said, if there's a big disconnect between departments like marketing or IT doing like, let's say, um, releases on, on, on software and updates, and that could cause a major problem or, or a big amount of calls to come in. Um, I think trying to centralize the information, right? So, um, you know, as a workforce department, for example, if, if, I, if I was doing a plan and I was, you know, our, our forecasts are, are heavily reliant on knowing what's happening, right? And not having that information um, and then having the event occur and then having to explain, let's say to an executive, like, oh, you know, we got 30% volume uh, today is because of this. And their first question would be like, why did you guys not know, right? So I think the main thing is like not taking no for an answer and, and getting the information in a centralized source. So all your planners need to, you know, work from one one area, for example. Uh, we, what we did was we had like a SharePoint site and we had an, uh, an Excel sheet that all the departments would go into and every single department had an obligation to make sure they go in there and put in the programs that will be upcoming, the launch dates, and these departments were also responsible for not necessarily forecasting, but for giving us critical information to be able to determine a forecast from. Some would actually forecast. Some would say, hey, we're, we're sending out 300,000 emails this day, and we're expecting each email to take this amount of time to tend to. And so as a workforce analyst, I'd go back in there and look at, let's say, our contact rate. So we have a million customers, for example, and our contact rate is 20%, so I expect 200,000 of those customers call in every month, and then 30% of that should be email. And I would do the math to figure out how much of an impact those 300,000 emails should have from a volume perspective and from a handle time perspective. So I think just knowing that something's happening isn't good enough. You need to put time and associate time to it to be able to come up with an actual impact to what, you know, what we call the FTE, the full-time yeah. equivalent. Or, so I think um, that's the main, the main goal is your assumptions need to be backed up by uh, real data and and if you're not if you're not assessing yourself you need to reach out to whoever's providing you the data and get as many data points as you can to determine what that particular event 
uh, will will be about and how how much of an impact. Because you might say we're we're sending out a million emails, but those emails are going to uh, be about some kind of uh, promotion, and you need to look at the last time it was sent out and how many customers actually emailed in about or called in about or engaged. Yeah. So if the contact rate is only one percent, then you're only going to get you know ten thousand calls out of a million emails or even less. Or you, you get where I'm going at here, right? Like yeah. the assumptions have to be really well thought through and then they need to be added to your plan and a lot of times what happens is long-term plan is the assumptions are built into long-term numbers and then are never adjusted like long-term will give you a plan saying here's the volume you're going to get 300,000 calls this month they built all their assumptions in but they don't communicate those assumptions with you and then they also don't communicate if those assumptions have changed Overtime, and they also yeah. don't apply the apply the math that we use. We actually look at contact rates. We look at handle time. We look at the actual impact that's going to have to the short term plan or the ninety or thirty day plan, right? So I think um, the biggest thing with with forecasting and, and planning is doing it well ahead of time, and um, not just making a very simple assumption. Make a good, properly uh, researched assumption when it comes to um, to an event that may occur, right? Yeah, and I think it, you made a good point. I think it's in this relationship, it's all about good, clear communication. Understand the assumption. Understand that both both sides understand well what is being said. And I and this is a perfect segue to something that you mentioned, which is when we look at all the planning routines. So you have to factor in like shrinkage, HTS, and all the different activities that are removed. And many times it's like it's very common to see people just looking at kind of like oh, it's an average and they just assume it's right. But there are so many nuances of averages. Like you have different types of jobs. You have like fluctuations between seasonalities or different types of depending on your right. your industry. So I wanted to ask as well, like on those baselines, this alignment is critical. So how frequently would you recommend for someone to check their assumptions and make sure that they are aligned between both sides? Every day. <laughs> Every day. Um, I, I, I think that, um, we sometimes spend a lot of time uh, on things we shouldn't, right? I, I won't be able, let's say, give you an actual example right now, but I think that, for example, uh, in, in my experience, you'll have certain planners, forecasters will be jumping on calls they don't need to jump on. The, the majority of the time for a forecaster or planner should be spent on planning. And I, I see absolutely nothing wrong with checking your plan every day and finessing where it needs to be finessed, right? So, like, if you know something's launching in three weeks, four weeks, um, don't just let it sit there. Like, make sure that you're checking on it, seeing if there's any new updates to the plan. A lot of times things are canceled, uh, things are removed. So you might have, let's say, a, an event that, launch, that launches uh, 100,000 calls to a certain week, and all of a sudden you might not have picked up on that email that's in your inbox saying, hey, this event's canceled. And you've over-forecasted your week by 100,000 calls, and you've offered overtime. And guess what? You have 95% service levels. And people are going, okay, we're spending way too much money this week, and now you're doing early leave. Point being is I think it should be a daily thing, and I think that you should be checking your assumptions constantly, checking everyone who's given you those assumptions to see if they've updated them, um, and uh, closer to the actual uh, date of the assumption happening, making sure that um, it's all still aligned, making sure that your assumptions are correct. And Because remember, every forecast or everything we put into a forecast will literally be dollars and, and cents, right? It will, will yeah. literally mean uh, too good of a service level or too rich, meaning uh, super low occupancy and tons of money being spent, or really poor service levels and not having enough people because you didn't foresee uh, the volume. So, yeah, my question, my answer to that is daily. There should yeah. be no rest for the forecast. Yeah, it's, 
it's, it's like constant. At that point that you mentioned, yeah. like there is another implication. If you service levels are poor and you get like that level of frustration, it can lead also to poor customer retention because if the experience is not good that you are providing, it's like a snowball effect that will cost you more Absolutely. money than to re-engage those customers in marketing, etc. So I think it's a very fair point. And Absolutely. I wanted to go back to one of the first things you mentioned, which is about having the right tools, enabling everyone. So I think this has a saying here because many times we are planning for different scenarios, especially now with like people working from home, different hybrid methods, like not knowing exactly what to expect. But the truth is like investment in tools is really important. And we spoke about this before. And those can have a saying on those assumptions as well on planning. So it can help you lower HDs. It can help you getting your back office teams more productive. Uh, and I think it's super important. And I wanted to pick your brains about that comparison, because one thing is when we plan those scenarios, more strategy thinking, like we're looking ahead, like you said, and those are all good. But on reality, when you go to execution, everything can go wrong and you need to measure those results. So what would you, would you say that are good practice to really look into what's happening and really what metrics would you recommend looking at, how to measure the success of your plan? So what, what would you share with your audience on that? Very good point. Well, I think that uh, it comes down to what you were saying earlier, right? Like if you were going to build in your assumptions and um, the, the most important one I think is, you know, the accuracy of the forecast, right? So um, I, I found that in my experience, uh, again, if you have different departments that are siloed and you get assumptions from, let's say, a long-term department or um, you get assumptions from marketing, um, a lot of us don't measure what, where, when, why, and how. Like we, we don't, we'll let the day happen and then we won't go back and, like you said, revisit uh, the accuracy of that forecast, right? So uh, we might have, uh, you know, where that day or particular week falls within forecast and everything's fine, um, or we might have, um, uh, you know, one of those days be significantly higher than what was expected, and we tend to not do like the root call analysis on, on what exactly occurred, right? Like what what did cause that volume? Um, I'll give you an example. A lot of what we what what I used to do was, um, you know, post the event happening. Like let's say if it was whether it was unplanned or planned is really spend the time to to search for drivers, right? So, for example, uh, utilize a lot of the systems that you have out there, whether it's your call recording, um, your call quality team, to dig through calls to listen to what happened, and mm -hmm. also use, like, for instance, your chat platforms and your social media to actually do, like, keyword searches, right? So you'd actually be able to go in there and, even on a day where a plan's happening, like, even on an event's happening, you can actually sit there and have your analysts scan keywords through your chat platforms or social media or even plug in with the agents and listen to calls and start identifying some of those trends right so um, you know forecasting actually comes to whether your plan actually happened and if it didn't happen or if it, it you know the volume came higher get in immediately and start listening as to why right yeah. um, start looking for keywords start looking for the data to be able to speak to why your forecast wasn't accurate. So measure forecast accuracy and then look at what impacted that forecast accuracy. If you were within 5%, then great, you're a great forecaster. But most of the time, it tends to be a situation where you're 10, 20, 30% above forecast and service levels are poor, customer experience is bad, and you know we'll blame the forecasters, but we won't spend the extra time to go back to see where in the chain it broke. Did marketing maybe not give us a, the proper estimate? Did we talk, talk to call quality? Did we ask them to check to see what the what the customer is saying? Did we we talk to the chat guys and see if they can do a keyword search to see what was the most common issue? You'd be surprised. Sometimes you find out it's actually nothing related to anything in the forecast. I think that not just letting it sit there, like really spending the extra time, because once you're once the event's done, your forecasters may be okay. Well, let's forecast for the next event. No, 
let's have a call, a post-call analysis and figure out what went wrong, what went right, what went wrong. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Marlon, we are kind of approaching to the end. So, you know, the sure. question is coming because we have been asking that for almost everyone that joins as a guest. So no right. budget limitations, like you, you are aware, time, resources, you can do whatever you want. So what would be the one thing you would aim to fix in the WFM industry? That's a great question. I already had, I thought this one over before our call. And my biggest thing, if we had no budget and we could do whatever we want is again, spending money on tools. I think that commonly, you know, I won't name names, but I'd say one of the biggest problems that I, I know some people I work with are facing right now is that mindset that the work from home is not productive, that we need everyone at the office. I do agree. We need everyone at the office occasionally, uh, once in a while to meet, greet, have meetings, uh, have fun, right? But I think that in order to have happy employees, we need to have employees that felt like they're trusted. So we as organizations need to spend as much money as we can on the tools to measure. I think that, that we've gone away from really putting in money into giving managers, giving analysts the tools they need to measure the productivity. And that's the most important thing. I will spend as much money as I can on, on measurement tools and tools that will make uh, you know, and then um, the biggest thing is I would I would actually shift the budget, shift the budget to have less voice volume because you're only doing one call at a time. It's super inefficient and start pumping a lot more money into the digital platforms, social media platforms. And there's some great platforms out there that are, are not as expensive as people think and really starting to kind of open up those channels to customers to communicate with everyone differently. So WhatsApp is a perfect example. Salesforce, you got sales integration in there now. I think that companies need to start forcing their customers, and not in a bad way, just reducing the options for them. Like, for instance, if you want to start small, maybe start with your tech support channels, moving them over to digital and chat, right? Because those are tend to be longer calls. Those tend to be less value, right? They're not revenue generating tech support calls or, or service calls. Start maybe moving some of your things like password resets. Start moving some of your, your, your lines of businesses or, or interaction types that are simple that you know won't have any kind of cost impact or revenue impact over to digital and social media first. So if you're worried about customer being like, oh, I can't get through to a live person anymore. I'm not going to do business with the company anymore. Don't think that way. Try small steps. Like in any in, in life, the first step is the hardest, right? The, the step, yeah. journey of a thousand learn miles. Learn as you go, right? Yeah, the, learn, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Companies start taking that step. Starting to move volume from digital. I have, again, I'm not going to name names. I have companies that I know that aren't even making the first step to try to um, get a chat platform and, and, and try to defer volume. So yeah, if I had no, no limits on budget, I would literally have a, a workforce team that handles voice and, uh, and start bringing in some talent, super talented people, wink, wink, that, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that no chat and that no digital and that can really, really bring that value to the table, right? Because it's the way we're shifting. Like you can't deny that um, the, the younger generation, the old generation is retiring. They're not going to be calling you as much. The younger generation, they don't have time to waste. They don't want to sit on hold for 30 minutes just mm -hmm. to get a credit on the account for a disruption in service. They would much rather send you a WhatsApp message, uh, a chat, or a social media message. Here's my problem. You take care of it on, on your time, not on my time. Time is one of the most valuable things, right, in life. As organizations, we need to figure out how we save our customers time. And having them call in and wait for 30 minutes to speak to one customer on a voice call is not saving them time. Marlon, thank you so much for your insights and thoughts. I think 
to everyone listening, I think you speak with a lot of passion about what you do and you have Thank definitely you. loads of examples on different posts and different things you publicly shared. And I, once more, thank you for that. And it was really good to have you on this conversation. This was fun, uh, Andrew. I enjoyed it. I'd like you, to do it so again in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you thank for you. having me. No problem. For everyone listening, guys, follow us on our platform. So we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google and YouTube. Feel free to drop us any questions, comments. We are more than happy to read, engage with you, and see you soon. Thank you once more, Marlon. Of course. Thank you, Andre. The episode today was sponsored by Playvox. Go to www.fm.com, go to our sponsor page, and get to know them better. Thank you for listening to WWFM. This podcast is made and produced by Andre Leitão, Bilga Hentelun, Doug Carsten, Gonzalo Gomes, and Kim Paz. If you like this show, don't forget to share it with your friends and colleagues. Visit our website, wwfm.com, to find more exclusive interviews and WFM content. See you next time. All rights reserved.